it's, it's, we need the elasticity of entrepreneurial thinking. I think I said nimbleness before, you know, there's a nimbleness that these big events, you know, bring out in us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, if, if I had to bring any of this back to like art and entrepreneurship and why all artists are ultimately entrepreneurs, whether you are making money, I mean, you almost have to take that financial thing out of it sometimes because as an artist, I will say that it is a whole other podcast to talk about how artists are not paid or underpaid for the value of what they're contributing. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Lady Business Podcast Season 3. My name is Dina Nina Martinez, and I'm the founder of Lady Laughs Comedy. And my name is Heather Wendler, and I am the founder of Doyen. And if you're new to the Lady Business Podcast, we talk to women entrepreneurs and women who are badass in business. Season 3 of the Lady Business Podcast is recorded in quarantine via Zoom. So some of the quality may be a little bit different than what you expect of our podcast. But hey, desperate times call for Zoom. You can always find us on the internet at ladybusinesspod.com. On Facebook and Instagram at ladybusinesspod. And always when you're sharing, liking, and subscribing, make sure that you use the hashtag ladybusinesspod. Do you think we're a little repetitious? <laughs> How many touch points? Seven touch points. We're good. We're good. Okay, good. <laughs> also, please comment, review, and also share the Lady Business Podcast. Subscribe to the Lady Business Podcast wherever you get your podcast from, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora. On this episode of the Lady Business Podcast, we're going to be talking to artist and farmer Shell Isaac. So I know Shell for a long for a long time. Um, she's one of our very close friends, and it's been very interesting because when we first met her, she was an artist and she's been an installation artist and done um, pieces and galleries all over the country and has been guest lecturer at various universities across the country as well. But she's made this a very interesting pivot into a homesteader and farmer now and has just recently brought on sheep and cows onto her 40 acres during the pandemic. (laughs) I love this episode so much because she is such a creative And her approach to her business and her life is so intertwined and holistic. Yeah, I think it's really cool to see how she gets so... uh, She brings out art in everything. So whether it's like, check out my soil sample to... This is, it's not just like the aesthetic. This is what my beehive looks like and it's beautiful. It's all functional art. And she figures out how to bring out those best pieces. And that's what you really see through the visuals that she creates for her artworks as well, is taking those, what we would consider tiny details in our everyday, very boring lives and make them spotlights uh, within her installations. Mm, That's so good. So now let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Lady Business Podcast. Today, we have 
an incredible visual artist who is world renowned. Please welcome Shell Isaac. Yay. Hi. <laughs> so tell us more about what you do. Um, I studied painting way back in uh, undergraduate school and ran a small graphic design business with a co-founder for about 10 years and then finally came back for my MFA after closing that business down. And um, primarily I work in immersive installation art, which is basically um, as opposed to walking up to a painting on a wall, you're more or less surrounded by the art. And I use um, large scale video projection and sound and sculpture to create environments. I love it. What are you, what influences you? Oh, because I saw one of your videos and I was like, this is creepy and cool at the same time. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It is creepy and cool. My work is, um, it's, it, it, I will say it, it, it's pretty intuitive. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times it's, I just get, I just get a, th just a, just a thread of something that I start following up on and, um, Oh, like what? I don't know. I shoot a lot of video where I don't know why I'm shooting. And I've built up this, like, I don't know, probably eight or 900 hours of video in a library. And it's all organized um, with tags and things like that. And sometimes I'll be working on a project and then remember something that I shot three years ago and realize, oh, this is where it finally fits in. Um, so I think that that organic process actually plays into the work itself. It, it ends up, my friend Jack describes it as um, a fever dream. Because <laughs> I've said before, like, I'm trying to make this not like a fever dream. And he's like, you can't make it not like a fever dream. That's, that's your oof. So, um, but, but lately the work has been a lot about kind of the meltdown of the planet in a way and sort of where humans fit in. And a lot of, it seems like more recently, a lot of my work, um, is weaving in what I'm encountering out here on the farm. And just um, this old farmer guy once told me, I was asking him about a house plant of all things and, and how to prevent, I, I don't know, some kind of fungus getting on my house plant. And he goes, well, you know, the best, what do you say? The best, uh, I think called a defense. But he was, he, was saying, he, was saying, he was saying the best way to manage your plants. And I said, what? And I was expecting him to, you know, give me some spray or something or soap or wash the leaves. And he said, the, the best deterrent for everything is the farmer's shadow. And so it was just his way of saying, you know, it's like pay careful attention and notice when things change. And, uh, and there's also this kind of thread they learned about in a master gardener class called phenology. And phenology is basically just paying careful attention day to day, year to year of how conditions are changing and how those conditions are impacting other cycles. So, so I keep track of when the different trees around here break bud in the spring and I write it on my calendar and I pay attention to the first time um, I see certain beetles and bugs in the garden and I write that down. And I think that, all that to bring it back to the art stuff is my art is getting more like that. My art is getting more about just noticing the minutia and trying to weave it into some more universal kind of visual sound image that hopefully people are 
I don't really expect them to understand it per se. I just hope that I'm presenting something curious enough they'll want to keep listening or watching. And I feel like that's, that's my only job as an artist. Um, it's not really to explain anything or teach anything. I'm not smart enough. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because you talk about how um, gar- or the farming has influenced your art. How did you go into the farming aspect or what kind of propelled you into that? Um, well, we bought, we bought this land out here, 2006. We didn't build on it. We didn't, we didn't live in the house until about 2012, I think, or 2013. Um, and I was kind of kicking and screaming. I didn't like this idea at all, but then I, I planted, it was stupid. I just planted a garden and that changed everything. Um, the challenge of going from, you know, a minuscule seed to something that you can't keep up with later in the season and you're begging your friends to come and eat your food. Um, it, it, it sounds really, you know, trite to, to, to talk about that miracle, but it's unbelievable. It's also really cool to see all the other things that want to get at that plant and to recognize them as life forces. I I look at this COVID thing and yes, it's horrible. Yes. It nearly killed my best friend. You know, I, I, I get it. I completely get it. And on the other hand, I can't help but marvel um, at the life force in this virus. Right. And how we are so anthropomorphically centered is to actually <laughs> say that we're at war with it. I'm like, COVID doesn't think we're at war with it. COVID's just being COVID. And I, I guess I look at nature that way. It's like nature does nature. And I think that we might be the only beings on this planet that make something more of it than it is. We take it, we take everything so personally. Um, I don't know if I'm getting back to your question, Heather. I, I, I um, I think that this is something that's been part of me for so long and that perhaps starting the farming stuff has really brought me face to face with um, a case to be made for nature. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like when I was, ma- if I was making, if I was ever making art about nature before this, it was very theoretical, maybe <laughs> at best. Um, but now it feels really, I feel like I, I'm in the back seat and everything else is driving and I'm just taking notes, like whether it's video or sound or photography or as fast as I can. And so the farm in that way, the farm is driving the art. And I think that maybe I was drawn to the farm thing because it started answering, it started making that part of my art process so much more organic and, and so much easier really to um, get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, uh, okay, so now kind of going to where we're at right now. I don't know around. how you can make a podcast out of this. <laughs> Good oh, luck. It's great. These are what, so sidebar, this is what it's kind of about is just having a conversation with someone and how okay. the entrepreneurship comes in and out of your life Okay. and how everything that you do, um, you know, like within Doyen, one of our guiding principles is entrepreneurship happens within a life. So what we see is something sparks in your life sparks you into becoming starting a business or pursuing your passion project um, that turns into a business. And so all of these nuggets are just ways to normalize the thought about entrepreneurship 
but then also just telling people stories of okay what what their experience is and it really resonates with a lot of people so okay. <laughs> this is what we do at Doyen we, this is how we drive the this is how we drive everything <laughs> that's cool I know, it's, make I, it I, real I totally get it I totally get it yeah um I was so with the COVID happening right now, thinking about everybody's planting a garden. <laughs> we all have our what we're redubbing victory gardens mm-hmm. right now, um, which I think is just a weird. It's term. another war metaphor, so it is. Yeah, it is, but it's like, is that really what we should be going for here? Um, do you have any advice for first time gardeners <laughs> <laughs> who are trying to start their seed? Or by I feel like I'm still we're... a first-time gardener, but I will say here's a, here's the best advice is um, you know Heather I I mean I've I've had a tomato plant here and there in a pot on a deck, but um, in terms of like going out there building boxes, thinking about horse poop in depth of you know like um, really I did I did that the first time in the summer of 2018. Um, and also taught myself how to can and ferment and brine and all that. I mean, one thing leads to another. It's so interesting. And once you get over the fear of killing people with your botulized vegetables, um, which I still haven't quite, I think a little fear is always a good, um, safety kind of valve, but have you um, had anything that you're like, Oh, I don't, you know what? I've had one raspberry jam that I gave to my best friend. And she's like, oh, the buttons popped. I'm like, give that back. (laughs) (laughs) She was still willing to try it, but, um, but uh, no, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. And so that's, 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 that's part of the point, right? It's um, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, the best advice is to just jump in and try it. The second best advice is good God, everything. There's a YouTube for everything, but compare three, there's a lot of bad advice. So get three sources and take the average. Um, yeah, starting in 2018, I started the flywheel. So I got my first bee colony, built five container gardens, built a little pop-up greenhouse, um, got 18 hens, built a hen house. Who lived with you? They were your roommates for a <laughs> while. Yeah, so, so some good advice is, it's good to raise chicks by hand. Probably not so great to do it in the guest bedroom. They're really messy. <laughs> uh, it's good to introduce your dogs to the chicks from day one so that you have dogs that won't eat your chickens. Um, um, you know, back to that, wait, when you asked me to do this interview, I'm like, everything I do sucks up money, doesn't make money. But when I started thinking about it, since John is such a numbers guy and keeps track in quick time of like, you know, where's the money going? Our grocery and eating out bills have just plummeted. And so they're, I'm not getting paid greenbacks, but there's a certain kind of value in this whole homesteady kind of project that I've got going on. Um, But for people that are just starting out, first of all, starting from seed, you're a little late, but you could still plant cucumber, squash from seed. But if you're going to start your onions right now, they, we don't have time to grow the onions. Um, what else, Heather? There are certain crops that you should have started yeah. two months I think ago. Any, 
any of your roughage, so your kale, the even cool cabbage. Crops. Yeah. Those there's certain, there are certain plants February. that do not like warm weather, so you really want them to grow in April, May, and June. And that would be kale, broccoli, the cruciferous, <laughs> the brassicas. Um, are there any plants that you are like absolutely... I refuse to start from seeds. Like Brussels sprouts, I refuse to start from seeds. I'm going to buy that. starters. <laughs> yeah. No, I've done that. I've done the Brussels sprouts. It works. Um, you have to start those super – the timing on those is weird because you don't start them as early as your other brassicas. They're hard to grow. It's easy to grow the stalks and then get little – last year I got like pea-sized Brussels sprouts that were such a pain in the ass. Um, but, you know, I just called them um, – juvenile i think you could market them though as you know like the caper of the brussels sprout world and your, your brussels shoots <laughs> brussels sprouts <laughs> oh well they're already called brussels sprouts now have they <laughs> but now, now that i'm going into my third year of gardening i am starting to think about you know like niche crops i like that the entrepreneur is now squeaking in not because i ever think i could make a ton of money with this but it, it it's fascinating to me like there are some really oddball niche products that would be really nice to have out there, um, like capers. Yeah. And I think then thinking about like, you know, people, you know, entrepreneurship is going to, is going through this huge pivot right now because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. And, you know, when we look historically, there is always an uptick in entrepreneurship when we go through some sort of crisis within the economy. And I think people are trying to be inventive. I think, the problem we also see is innovation happens way faster than policy can catch up and keep up with okay. what's going on. So thinking about like, oh, now I have my garden. Like mm-hmm. we've gone through this with my garden of, oh, it's on the terrace. The city yeah. doesn't want you to have terrace gardens or they have like, just like the free little libraries, the free little gardens where I'm like, I got tons of extra produce. Let me give it away cities Mm -hmm. and states have regulated you can't do that because i might choose to poison my vegetables and then give them to people so so thinking thinking through like yeah right like i i look at it as i want to poison people (laughs) (laughs) maybe (laughs) so I will say that this is the strangest conversation to me because I have, I am so not planty. I like my roommate left me in charge of her plants while she was gone for six months and half of them are alive. Maybe. Um, like, so this is so interesting. Um, and so fascinating how it works in your business and your art. Um, on top of that, one of the things that I want to ask you about is, how are you finding the creative process during this this uh, stay at home thing? Mm-hmm. Because I've experienced as a creative, I've experienced the stifling of that because my my art is um, engagement. Like uh-huh. I need a dependent on engagement, and so I'm really interested in how you're finding your creative juices um, yeah. during this time. Well, it makes sense to me that you would be experiencing that because it is, you have a more interactive practice. And my practice really is, I mean, I don't, I don't work with people when I make my films. I don't have like a key grip or, you know, it's, they're really solo kind of endeavors. And so my kind of joke is like, 
what quarantine, you know, this is like, this is, you know, but I do feel stifled. And I think that, I think that it speaks to, um, you know, and I've been, I've been kind of trying to limit my media to like, you know, really good sources. John is completely um, on top of everything. So I'm using him as kind of a buffer to not get completely overwhelmed by it. But um, I will say, I don't know, you know, it's just like, why am I not writing a book right now? Why am I not, you know, I, I, I feel, I feel a little, um, there's that kind of, we're all in limbo and I think we don't like it. And I don't see that many people anyway, but when I'm told I can't see people, then it becomes a thing. Then it becomes like an itch I can't scratch or something. And um, so I'm really kind of leaning into the manual labor right now and listening to Harry Potter nonstop. I'm on book six. So <laughs> I don't know what will happen when I'm done with that. But um, but I, I am processing a lot right now in terms of where what, what the next art project is going to look like. But I'm kind of using, I'm using the living things as a crutch and I'm kind of responding to things that need me like plants that need uh, planted on time, potted into bigger pots as they're waiting to go outside. You know, um, I'm doing a lot of that, but it feels like busy work. It doesn't feel like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah but totally. I don't know. How about you guys? I mean, I it's, think it's a, it ties in, but it's also an escape for you a little bit too. It is an escape. And that's how, that's what gardening always has been for me. Of like playing in the dirt. I mean, there's studies around playing in the dirt increases your mental health in a lot of ways. But Mm -hmm. um, for me, it totally is an escape because I'm tending something, I'm nurturing something and I'm going to see a result from it. Mm -hmm. But it's, I don't have to, well, I don't really have to take any feedback or anything like that from my plants besides, hey, you're your leaves are shriveling because I'm not doing something. So I have to notice that. Um, but I think it's also, so one other thing, like right before we went into this, you had some, you had some installations and you were supposed to have a film at, <laughs> at um, the Ann Arbor film festival. So has it, has it kind of disrupted kind of what your year looked like or what you were planning um, for the year to look like? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I, I was working on a piece uh, with the Li um, Chao Ping dance group as their kind of uh, video artist for a big show they were going to do. So that was canceled entirely. Um, the film that was going to be in the Ann Arbor Film Fest, Ann Arbor like picked up the pieces really quickly um, because that film festival was March 23rd to the 29th. So in a way, kind of early into this-ish, um, they somehow retooled so fast and were able to live stream that entire film festival online. And then they made it free for everybody and just asked, please donate. You know, obviously it's costing them a ton of money to make it available, but I actually had a bigger audience for my work because they had a little um, thing up in the corner of how many people were logged in watching. And it was, it was probably as big as the theater. It was like packing the theater in Detroit. I mean, Ann Arbor, but um, packing it with people from all over the world, which was amazing because it's, it's very international. A lot of, they get a lot of films from outside the U S for that film festival. 
And then there's another show that opened and it was a fantastic opening weekend, thank God. But it shut down, it's now shut down prematurely, a, a museum down in Arkansas. So, you know, but it's, I, I'm kind of rolling with it because it's, the work is still done. The work is still good. The work is still, has still been accepted by, you know, either institutions or festivals or whatever. Um, and so that part of it doesn't change so much. And I, it, it was really pointed out to me that, oh, that's not why I make the work. Like, like the fact that those things have been like derailed hasn't really resulted in depression from me, which I would have guessed it might have. Um, and I know, you know, my friend Amy's kids have been like working forever on these pieces of music. Um, and for this big concert and that was shut down and another friend that had this like major dance thing that was going to happen with the Sheboygan orchestra live orchestra. That was, that will probably never happen now. And they've been preparing for that for a year and it probably won't get rescheduled. So, you know, it's like, I think that, that, it, that that's it too. Like it's happening to everybody. So it's hard to have a pity party over it. Um, but back to Dina's question, I, I wish that, I wish I could say that it's really lit a fire under me artistically. And I think I'm still just figuring out, going back to earlier in the conversation, I'm still thinking a lot about how we as humans put ourselves so in the middle of everything and how it's impacting us as humans. And I'm, thinking about it from the outside in and I don't know how that would manifest in artwork in the future but it will I can guarantee that it will yeah um do you think you know like you mentioned how you were able to probably get a much wider audience or um just following because of the film festival having to go virtual do you see that as something that will maybe continue um, yeah, going forward. I, think that, I mean, I think that unless film festivals were absolutely pressed to do this, because there have been a few more films doing some version of the Ann Arbor thing. Wisconsin Film Festival is putting stuff online, but they're making people pay. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. Like, how well will that go over? And because there's nothing wrong with that, of course. But um, I think that the deliverables like film where somebody really could put it on a, you know, widescreen TV or even put it through their own projector. I think it's really a fascinating delivery for that medium. And yet I would say a room full of sculpture. I don't know. I just saw the other day that the Louvre is offering free virtual tours and um, we'll say it is so important to keep those institutions alive. There's nothing like standing in front of something that was painted in, you know, the Middle Ages and just like being in the presence of that physical object. Um, you know, it, it's, I, I, it's got me thinking a lot about um, Walter Benjamin these days who wrote this amazing treatise called um, Art in the Age of Mechanical... Art, I'm going to blow this and somebody's going to call in and say, she doesn't know her art history. And he's an art in the age of mechanical reproduction, where he talks about the aura of art and how does that change when you start printing um, images of paintings in books. So now somebody can consume it 
in their house in between two covers as opposed to being in the aura of that object. And, you know, obviously there's pros and cons. And I think that that, that we're seeing that all over again now with, you know, this, like how is this different, Heather, than being in the room uh, South by Southwest? So much of that could be packaged in this way. But it is a different experience. You know, it's like, like, the thing is, is like, it's better for the planet to do this. It's better for the planet if, you know, hundreds of thousands of people don't fly to Venice every two years. But I will say I would be the saddest person in the world to think that I would never go to that like giant Biennale again in my life because. So I I think that goes back to the, the physical um, component of it. So like even as we're, as in with Doyen, but even doing these podcasts is how do you have the what we're seeing with why zoom is working so well is because i can see people when people turn their cameras off or even like right now dina and i are muting ourselves while you're talking because of background noise and just Mm -hmm. bandwidth stuff like trying to pull out that emotion from people is really hard in a virtual setting and when you're supposed to be in-person events there's so much connection that happens and to your point around you know just feeling the way you feel and the emotion that's evoked by standing in front of these things mm-hmm. um and having the people around you that are also feeling this you can't i don't know how we can replicate that yeah. in a virtual experience i think that this isolation is really uh it's 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 it's, it's, it's in, i don't say it's cool but it's it's interesting for us to be all experiencing this because maybe it is waking up the thing that's been taken away right like you know um i don't know i mean it's been drilled into our heads forever that we have five senses and now we've got people working from all different angles on science saying like oh no that is really the tip of the iceberg right and um and not to always bring it back to puppies and chickens but, you know, the more I'm around these other non-human beings, and I'm including the plants and the funguses that eat the plants and then the beneficial insects that eat the fungus and, you know, all of it, that, that hum of all of it. And I know that I sound like a big old earth mother here, but, but like we should be learning something about the essence of human connection, you know, that we're missing. It's, it's, it's fascinating that we've got such an asshole in chief right now that is so narcissistic, so the opposite of feeling what other human beings are, what they need, you know, the potential, the pain, you know, the joy, all of it, um, (laughs) quote unquote, leading us through this, but actually we're all leading each other through it, you know, is, is, is horribly mismanaged as this has been. Um, and the reason we're all still on such a long lockdown, I think, um, because it was mismanaged at the beginning. Um, I think it's giving us all time to really think deeply and theoretically about our politics, about the importance of being, um, you know, very activated in our communities because we've been separated because we're, we're like feeling the kind of like yuckiness of, not being able to be together. Yeah. And I think that's part of why we see more of an uptick in 
social media or just other ways to connect? Because we feel like that's a way to connect. So my husband is, you know, seed stage investor, deals with entrepreneurials all day long. And I'm hearing it all day long because he's here doing his job. But it's been, God, that's been kind of great too. It's like take your partner to work day every day for the past two months <laughs> to really see like what, you know, it's like I've always understood like what he does, but now I'm like in the front row of what he does. And he's talking all day and he's negotiating and compromising and ideating. Um, but what's interesting is that these companies and he's basically biotech focused. Um, the, the firm is biotech focused. What's interesting and also watching what's going on at sector is how people can so quickly on a dime entrepreneurs turn their attention to the most important thing. And it's a nimbleness that is really, um, it makes me feel optimistic because it's not to make a buck. It's first and foremost, like, how can we turn the ship? How can we, how can we play a part in this? Um, everything as simple as, you know, I have some fabric and I have some fleece and I have a sewing machine and I can do this to, you know, oh, well, has anyone looked at the cell-free DNA? I've heard so much about cell-free DNA in the past few years. Like it's blowing my mind. Um, you know, as a, as a diagnostic, has anyone thought about looking at it this way as a diagnostic? And, and all of that, I think, is, you know, in terms of like uptick in social media, but, but also like, will we see an uptick in entrepreneurial activity? I think so, because I think on some level, this, people are out of jobs. People are looking for something to do. And I think it's in some ways, this could potentially be empowering to people who are collecting unemployment now all of a sudden have this time on their hands and a week in, it's like, oh my God, I'm not going back to work anytime soon and start to get curious and get busy. And, um, and even somebody planting a garden, I don't think it's, they're going to turn into entrepreneurial farmers, but I think that just that, that seismic shift in what you do day to day could change the way you look at your own um, independence, individuality, and also community. Who can I lean on? And you start forging different relationships. Yeah. I think you're thinking about, you get to the point of thinking about like, what is, what makes me happy and what's my Mm -hmm. self-worth. And I remember my other point now, like, I think it's also, we don't know how to deal with being by ourselves and we don't know how to deal with like, all of our thoughts in our heads because we're so used to pinging between everything mm-hmm. and it's, it's forcing us to do this. And I think that also plays into, you know, upticks that we're seeing within different mental health issues or um, substance abuse issues or other things that are happening, but it's also making us more attuned to how t- turned off we've been to looking inside ourselves and being more introspective. Yeah. It's, you know, who's not having a problem with this for the most part, probably preschool kids. Um, you know, I mean, except for the fact that like maybe they can't, they can't have play dates right now, but kids live inside their heads. So a kid still has his Legos, a kid still has the backyard and maybe, you know, going back to this gardening thing, and again, it sounds so hallmarky, but there is such a sense of wonder in that, that I don't know if, 
perhaps that might return us a little bit to something a little bit more basic. And I'm not meaning at all to discount some really serious shit people are facing in terms of financial insecurity. Um, you know, potential long-term financial insecurity as businesses will inevitably go out of business. There won't be jobs to go back to. And that is painful and scary. But, um, you know, people are also super resilient. And um, there's, there's something to this, you know, I don't know if people are still saying we're all in this together because I think people are getting pretty cranky about it. But at the end of the day, we've got to remember that. We've got to remember that the suffering is so widespread for so many reasons, whether it's, you know, adult caretakers of their aging parents who cannot see their parents and the parents have some level of dementia and are completely confused and just dealing with that emotional pain on top of having their own little kids at home. And, you know, it's like, it, there's just nothing this doesn't touch. And I think that back to, you know, feeling stifled as a creative, I think that creative people also recognize how this touches absolutely everything that we do and deal with. And like, Oh, where do I even start to help make a difference outside of myself? But I do think we're figuring it out. What do you guys think? I agree. I think I'm not like, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic through most of it, but I also have this healthy level of pessimism in the sense that like, I think it's going to last a lot longer than we expect because we're not taking the, the correct steps. But I also feel like with any big um, event, like a war, Mm -hmm. like um, tornadoes, like, I think it's bringing out the best in those of us who are affected by it, which is now all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And for most of it, I think it's bringing out the best in most people and seeing that and having hope for humanity for the first time in 25 years, you know, is kind of a very interesting place to be even within the middle of the throes of this unexpected, unprecedented event. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I also think about, you know, I think about like America in the COVID crisis versus, you know, anywhere else in the world. And of course that's, that's another, that's another kind of granular thing that is like, it's the same disease. It's impacting countries differently. And I guess what I want to remember is like, you know, my friend Jack was in the epicenter of Brooklyn and he got a ventilator. He got to be on a ventilator. And it's like, um, I don't know. Somebody said to me, like, I don't know what country in Africa, but it's like, well, there's four ventilators for the whole country, you know? And it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know? Um, and so I think, that, I think that we would do well to remember as Americans, like, for all the things we can say about healthcare and all these other um ways of looking at this and how it's gone off the rails. There's so much depth in this country in terms of wealth in this country, um, entrepreneurial wealth, not only, not, not, not financially that too, but also um, just people are smart. 
I mean, we've got we've got a high level of education in this country, and um, and I think that I I, th- I think that the sooner we we can really or, or 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 the better we can stick to the we're all in this together, the sooner we will get out of it because we are working as a whole team. Um, I don't know. Maybe we just don't need to eat as much pork in the near term. You know, maybe it's okay for that plane to shut down so those people can get healthy and be safe. You know. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, I think, I think we, I think that we're so entrenched in business as usual, as soon as possible at, you know, that, that it's, it's, we need the elasticity of entrepreneurial thinking. I think I said nimbleness before, you know, there's a nimbleness that these big events, you know, bring out in us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, if, if I had to bring any of this back to like art and entrepreneurship and why all artists are ultimately entrepreneurs, whether you are making money, I mean, you almost have to take that financial thing out of it sometimes because as an artist, I will say that it is a whole other podcast to talk about how artists are not paid or underpaid for the value of what they're contributing because not all of us can just hang a price tag on a painting. I mean, my work is experiential. It's been really hard for me to monetize that. Um, I will also be completely transparent and say, I do the work I do because I love doing it. I do the work I do because I have a partner that can pay the bills. I would not be doing immersive installation art if I had to find a way to make money from it. I, Cause I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what that model is. Um, aside from being 0.00, one of a percent of people that get to make this work and get paid for it. It's a really thin slice of the art pie. Um, so, you know, I, but, I, but, but artists find all kinds of ways to make money so they can also make art. And sometimes those two things that Venn diagram does overlap a lot more concisely than it does in my life. But um, it's this spirit of, what makes artists get up and do make art every day and what also drives entrepreneurs to get up every day and believe that they've got something to contribute and, um, and make it happen. And it's really being tested right now. I mean, the entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial world and startups, you know, small independent business is just the, is getting slammed my biggest nightmare is to wake up and all we can do is like go out to Denny's for dinner and shop fucking Costco, you know? <laughs> oh, what a nightmare, you know? And so I've been buying my, you know, um, gift certificates to businesses that I hope will be open for me to use those gift certificates in the future. Like that's, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know how we're going to. Yeah. I think that's the other way that we've really shown how we've come together as one is how do we support? Like I just saw a new survey came out this, uh, well, this morning actually, as if we're recording this, but um, projected like 36% of small businesses in Wisconsin are going to close within the next three months. So by midsummer, we're looking at losing a third of our, I think, I think I read like 290,000 small businesses in the state. That's and those are bars huge... and restaurants that have been open for 50 years. Bars, right. restaurants. It's, and... it's all of our Main Street yeah. economy, which really yeah. drives our local economics. And yeah. so it's it's really scary of 
Amazon's going to win out. Um, oh God. Costco's so on that out. drive, on that drive to New York and back. Well, first of all, I can tell you that I drove into New York city. Um, like coming kind of up from the South, I guess. I don't know. It's wacky there, but at five fifteen in the afternoon, and there was never more than, I was never more than five cars back at a stoplight, you know, it is freakish. And the only other, not the only exclusively only, but percentage wise, the only vehicles that are out there are trucks that say Walmart, Amazon, FedEx, and UPS. And FedEx and UPS are carrying shit from Walmart and Amazon. You know? So, I mean, just like double and triple Decker trailers. And I mean, I'm not shocked or amazed by that, but I, you know, I wasn't and, seeing little vans from my local flower shop. Right. Or, you know. And there is now opportunities for, you know, the, we, we were talking, we've talked to a few other companies who sell on Amazon right now that are small businesses, but it's such a, it's like that's one stream of multiple ways that they're hitting their targets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that goes back to just like, how do we be, how, how are we being innovative? And the projections were already showing that brick and mortar were probably going to be gone within the next 20 to 30 years. So does this just increase the timeline? Yeah. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting. I think those are things maybe we can explore when we do our second interview with you. Um, what? what? So- <laughs> so do you know you want to close this out yeah absolutely uh so we everybody can find you at shellisaac.com yeah um are you on the social media as well Mm, no no not so So, much i mean no i do have an instagram page um and i've followed a bunch of people uh (laughs) i feel like i'm too busy i don't know i don't know where people find the time to be good social entrepreneurs, um, <laughs> social media entrepreneurs. Um, but no, it's uh, C-H-E-L-E-Isaac.com. So that's where awesome. my art stuff is. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and your perspective. And it's been such an interesting conversation. And we look forward to touching back with you. So thank you again, Shell Isaac. Thank you guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lady Business Podcast. Please make sure to go and like our pages on Facebook and Instagram at Lady Business Pod and head on over to our website, ladybusinesspod.com. And you can always subscribe to us and like us and oh, make sure to review our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, And you can always ask Alexa to play the Lady Business Pod on Apple Podcasts.